Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to Headstrong. You're listening with me, Louis Strong, the host of this podcast. Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a variety of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers, but notably their vulnerabilities to understand what the word headstrong means to them. This series is entirely devoted to the sport of cricket, And to date, I have had many cricketers on already, including Jason Holder, Joss Butler, Sam Curran, and many more. And all of them are available to catch up right now. If you just go to your usual podcast streaming service and search Headstrong. This series, we are supporting the wonderful Ruth Strauss Foundation, which has many wonderful ties to cricket, thanks to Sir Andrew Strauss. And I hope that we can continue to support the amazing work that charity is doing. This series is also sponsored by Ascot Group and McGill and Partners, and more information on these wonderful sponsors later on in the podcast. On this episode of Headstrong, I am joined by South African legend, Mornay Morkel. Mornay now lives in Australia and indeed plays as a local in such things as the Big Bash. However, we had a chat about his move from South Africa and indeed his touring life to Australia and how life has changed dramatically for him. We also had a chat about how sport unites South Africa as well as how Mornay tackles injuries. I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Mornay, thank you very much for joining me on Headstrong. I hugely appreciate it. How's it going? Yeah, it's going great, thank you. Um, I had six weeks away sort of from home. I played, just finished the Big Bash. So um, it's nice to finally, finally be home and uh, just have some quality family time. You know, I've had quite a, quite a tricky year. Um, sort of it started 2020 and then leading into 2021 where 
I was over in the UK. Um, I stepped on the ball, went over my ankle, um, and I got this ankle surgery done in the UK. Stuck in quarantine yeah, and then played the Big Bash. So um, spent a lot of time away from home with a lot of obstacles, but it's uh, it's good to be to be finally be here and uh, yeah, just to do to be sort of a dad. Absolutely. Well, you're you're in your your new home. I mean, I call it new. Probably new in the in the in the big picture, I suppose, in yeah. the sense that you are very much halfway across the world from where I am at the moment in Sydney, residing in Sydney. Yeah. So how 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 have you adapted to Australian culture and Australian life then? I don't think I'll ever adapt. Um, you know, the Australians, the Australian way is very different. But I moved here about two years ago. I sort of backed up in South Africa. My wife's Australian. And uh, once I retired from, from international cricket and sort of was sort of chasing the the, the sort of relaxed, easier lifestyle with, with playing just the, the, the T20, uh, T20 cricket and, um, you know, a bit of cricket in the UK, you know, um, we decided to move here to, to Australia. But, um, yeah, so I haven't spent a lot of time here, you know, since the move. But, um, you know, the Australians are very different. But, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a fantastic sort of, you know, family lifestyle we're living here at the moment. So far, but, yeah, so far, so good. I mean, you're, you are now officially an Australian citizen, you know. Yeah. Um, that's, that's quite interesting for me to be talking to you in that sense. How, how does that feel <laughs> to you? And when, and when someone poses the, the loyalty question, I mean, is it now just not, not even worth questioning? So I've got, I've got my residency, so I haven't got, like, my past, my Aussie passport yeah. yet. Um, but, yeah, it does feel very, very weird. I mean, I played in the local Big Bash. I played as a, as a local. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a strange sort of ring to it, tune to it. But, uh, you know, for me, I always tell the people that I never left South Africa with any bad blood. You know, I'm still very passionate about South Africa. Um, you know, I still, all my, all my family is still there. So, you know, I miss South Africa every day. But um, for me now, life is here. And, um, you know, it's, it's a nice sort of journey. We, we started, you know, sort of two years ago. And then, yeah, we'll see how it goes. What um what is it that you like about the kind of living in Australia then? Because as you say, it is your your wife's home country. Your kids yeah. are growing up there, and I imagine that the the culture in terms of growing up for your kids is starkly different to what you experienced probably in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially I mean, yeah, in Sydney, there's not a lot of space. You know, I grew up in South Africa. Um, you know, we always had big yards. We had good space. We had that sort of. Um, you know, it's it's we have that sort of freedom to go and roam. We yeah, in Sydney, yes, you do have that, but it's it's, it's sort of you sort of, you know, on top of each other slightly a little bit. Um, but yeah, like you know, for me, um, you know, coming back to you to to your question, I, I it was just me. There's something I need, a box I needed to come and tick. You know, um, I was I was when I retired, like I said, I still spend a lot of time outside South Africa, and safety for me was at that time it was a bit of a concern in South Africa, and you know, with my family sort of spending a lot of time by themselves. So, um, you know, for me, it was a no-brainer. To, to come to Australia, um, you know, and look at beautiful beaches here. You know, we 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 stone throw away from one of the well, one of the beaches here. So it's for me in the afternoon to take the kids down and just unwind and get away from everything. It's it's magical. Was there any uh, anxiety or, or anything? I mean, of course, you've travelled the world yeah. as as a cricketer, but you know, moving countries entirely to live somewhere else, I would imagine, is quite a daunting process. Because I remember when I I went to Sydney for about three months, and I thought that was quite a big yeah. deal. But moving there indefinitely is, you know, quite a challenge for you, I imagine. Yeah, you know, it's it's bloody scary. I'm not gonna lie. You know, my entire life is still in storage there in Cape Town, in South Africa. But, um, you know, I think the most important thing for me is to, um, 
you know, for me, it's just to stay in the moment. I don't look too too far ahead. You know, yes, um, you know, it's important to to sort of, for the kids' sake, you know, map out sort of goals and life plans and life dreams and all sort of things. But I think for me, because I'm still fairly fresh here in a new environment, you know, um, yeah, it's just to, to sort of take it day by day. Um, but also, you know, South Africans are South Africans are everywhere. Um, you know, so we see, I've met some fantastic people here that is sort of making life a little bit, a little bit easier. But um, it's definitely a scary and daunting sort of move backing up, um, coming into the unknown. Where, you know, to be honest, I don't really have a big network. All my network, I live my life in South Africa, is back home. And um, to now find a new physio, to find a new dentist, to, you know, um, just go and day-to-day sort of things. Um, you know, it's, it's frustrating, but, you know, sort of things, um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm growing every day, I'm growing every month, and um, it's a nice sort of life experience. So what's, what's been that biggest lesson then so far, apart from finding out where the, the nearest shop is? No, I think the biggest lesson for me so far, like I said to you, is just to stay, to stay in the moment here, you know, and... Um, one of the things I really struggled while I was playing and I was, um, you know, away on tour is when I was home to, to really be present. And, you know, I'm working on that sort of daily is to, to be with the kids. And, you know, if we go down to the beach or we play here now, is to really work hard to shut down my mind and really be focused and enjoying, you know, each sort of moment or having, having, having a glass of wine at night just to, to really savor that moment. And um, I think with a slower sort of lifestyle, we live here, in um in australia you know that helps me quite a lot are you still uh, are you picking those australian wines then or are you going back to your roots <laughs> <laughs> luckily there's a south african sh- um, store just around the corner here so i'm getting my wine supply from him but also yeah i'm trying trying a couple of good uh, aussie wines like i said you know i'm yeah i'm finding my feet yeah, one thing i do have to ask is the what the what my biggest um fear obviously coming from the uk is you know the biggest creepy crawly or bugs here are just like non-existent almost yeah, uh, yeah. In, in south africa to australia it's, it's not yeah. that starkly different i mean are you, are you all right with that kind of stuff no i'm, I'm used to all the creepy crawlies yeah. we've got a we've got a place in kruger national park you know wildlife and snakes and mm. spiders and scorpions and all those sort of things so yeah i mean there's a lot of similar similarities between australia and south africa which is which is pretty cool but in terms of um, you know all the all they've, they've got you i mean i think south africa is forward we've got lions leopards <laughs> you know yeah they've got a they've got a dingo and if you unlucky a kangaroo might kick you off your bicycle so you know there's uh, you can't really compare it absolutely okay well you you briefly touched on it there then the the big bash as a as a local player now what was that experience like and you and were you kind of there were crowds actually for some of the of yeah. the games which is pleasing now considering the circumstances what was that like were you kind of did you feel welcomed in by the uh, by the nation i suppose or, or was it kind of a, a bit of a different experience that was a great experience. I was, like I said, I was very nervous going in, you know, playing as a local. Um, you know, I, yeah, I was sort of, as a, as a 36-year-old, you know, coming into the environment, taking a, a spot of a younger guy, you know, because um, at the heat where I played, the Brisbane heat, there's a lot of, lot of up-and-coming, you know, quality fast bowlers. And, um, you know, I think for me, that was sort of the thing coming in and, and, and playing and stepping in toes. But, you know, for me, it was important just to, to, to pass an experience, you know, help as, as much as I, as I could, you know, on the field, off the field. Uh, but my journey, my journey of my, my time was quite, quite frustrating. You know, like I mentioned, I had ankle surgery. Um, I spent a lot of time in, in quarantine. I did about six weeks of quarantine where um, before I went up to, to Queensland, I had to do another two weeks. You know, I came back to visit a family. There was a, 
a little outbreak here on the, on the Northern Beaches. Then I had to quarantine under two weeks. So for me, my, my tournament's very stop-started. And in, in that time, I was, you know, trying my best to get fit. I mean, I, haven't, I didn't even bowl the ball for three, four months. So I had two net sessions, straight into a game. And then, you know, you're playing for a massive club. You want to do well. You want to, you know, sort of put your peg or your marker in the ground and, and help the team sort of perform well. So there was a lot of lot of things, a lot of demons I had to overcome and block out and, and um, you know, when I stepped on the field. But luckily, you know, everything went well. And um, unfortunately, we lost out in the semi-final. But, um, you know, for the, for the team where they ended up last year and the, the amount of growth they had this season, that was great to see. Absolutely. I mean, as you said there, you have experience isolation in probably its most fullest and grueling capacity uh, and Listen, i can i can what? tell you anything everything about so quarantine isolation and all the tips and tricks and everything <laughs> well here we go then yeah i mean because of course we can talk about the physical isolation but i want i want to explore with you how, how it affected you men- mentally because it's a lot of time to spend you know locked yeah. or, or literally locked up and, and being unable to do anything about it so what, what was your yeah, no, strategy I- I mean, you know, for me, the hardest part is um, the the one stint I did. Um, you know, I had a very sort of standard hotel room. Um, my windows couldn't open. So in the morning, I'll make myself a cup of tea. Um, you know, I was still sort of on UK time. I had jet lag. So I'll wake up at three in the morning. I'll make myself a cup of tea. Um, and then I'll sit in the window. And then you can see sort of all the people that traveled that came with, you know, from overseas. They'll sit in their balconies or their windows. And I had no window. So that for me was the hardest part to see people sort of actually sitting outside in the windows in the morning and enjoying a bit of sunlight and enjoying the fresh air. And my windows couldn't even open. So I had to come up with, you know, sort of a game plan. So I had a very um, basic sort of uh, routine where, you know, this coffee in the morning. Um, and then I brought, I took, I had like a couple of sort of exercise bands and stuff like that. So I used to do like a little gym session, get through that. And then uh, run about, 8 o'clock, 8.30, there was a knock on the door. I had to wait for about three minutes for, for the person to drop my breakfast. And this was like proper sort of prison environment. And then open up my door, grab my food. And then, um, yeah, my wife, luckily, she dropped off a couple of books and she dropped off um, a puzzle. So I was doing puzzles. And, yeah, I had to do sort of everything just to, um, you know, just for the time to sort of tick over. But uh, in the weekends, the weekends was, was sort of the hardest thing, proper sort of Sunday blues. Um you know, and yeah, so um, it is actually all a blur, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, for me, this, like I said, you know, there's also a nice time to to in that pro- to start the process of sort of slowing myself down. Um, my main goal was once sort of two weeks after I um, get out of out of quarantine, I, I need to drive all my ducks in a row. You know, all my admin, email admins, all those sort of things must you know should have been sorted out. It was just 100% focusing on the family. And luckily, they, you know, that two weeks sort of saved me to get, get all, that, all of that done. Yeah, it sounds like it was actually, you used it as an opportunity to kind of tick a few boxes, actually. And I can, sure. I, think, I can imagine as well, just, you know, if, if, you, if you don't have that routine in, in, uh, in quarantine or in isolation, you're just, you're, you're probably ca- causing yourself more distress than you need to. No, for sure. Um, you know, the routine, I think, is, is, is a, like in life. It's, it's the most important thing, you know. And, um, yeah, so I had a quite, quite a cool little thing going, um, which, which actually, yeah, made the two weeks go quite quickly. But there, there was definitely some very long days yeah. in between. Mm. Do, you do, do you do any, uh, any other sort of like meditation or breathing exercises or anything? I'm a, I'm a terrible breather at the moment. I'm, I'm working hard on it. 
but I'm not, I, that's one thing I'm not very disciplined very disciplined at is you know it's, it's doing sort of proper breathing exercises and stuff like that you know I'm like my whole career I was the worst sort of I always hold my breath even like I, when I speak now you know I don't breathe and that's one thing that I, I'm conscious of and I try to work on um, but uh, no I didn't do that um, you know for me it was like just normal sort of um, you know like I like the Headspace sort of app on my phone and it was getting through that 15-20 minutes a day and um, then it was nice for me to connect with my family, you know, um, with the time zones because I was I was awake at three, four in the mornings, two in the mornings, you know, it's perfect time to to call back home in South Africa and connect with friends back home in South Africa. So that was was great to see, and especially, you know, in this in this crazy time that we're in at the moment with COVID, you know, um, you know, phoning with schools, phoning with people, and just check in, and you know, was sort of yeah, um, uh, a helpline for guys who needed to just to chat. Yeah, totally. Do you think then there will be an opportunity, uh, co- obviously COVID pending, to, to dart back to South Africa? No, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, uh, like I said, I've, I've still got a lot of stuff, loose ends I need to go tie up on, on the South African side and would love to take the boys back to, um, you know, to, to the bush and for them to go see all the, all the animals and obviously my family. But um, yeah, for me at the moment, I'm not keen on um you know doing another two weeks with the family in quarantine mm. i think you know once once you've once you've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old in the room for two weeks that that's uh that is a different sort of gravy totally now i'm curious where, where do the boys stand on their loyalties um well i tell them about south africa almost uh you know every night there's the bedtime stories is always the african sort of theme um but uh yeah i'm pretty much there they aussie aussie little boys at the moment oh. um no, only only thing I'm I'm fighting, you know, against a hell of a lot is mate. I mean, as soon as they the day they call me, that they say to me, "All right, mate," um, it's the day we pack our bags, we we, we fly back to South Africa. But um, yeah, no, they they sort of full on Aussie little Aussie boys. Um, but you know, with my shocking sort of Afrikaans accent, hopefully, hopefully, you know, that accent of theirs won't be as strong. Okay, well, let's take this to- this opportunity then to rewind and <clears throat> compare your your kind of life now back to back to australia and your your upbringing as well now your father was a, played cricket himself didn't he yeah uh, and yeah. cricket I, I seem to think is it has been a massive part of your family with two brothers uh, has it always just been a permanent feature that was that was us you know after school um we always used to pull the lawnmower out of the shed um you know if we, if we decided we wanted english sort of conditions we left a little the grass a little bit longer subcontinent subcontinent you know, we also do a setting on the lawnmower and really make the, the backyard quite quite like dust bowl, like a dusty bowl. And um, yeah, so playing sort of rugby cricket in afternoons, breaking windows, that was that was the sort of normal afternoon in the Morkel household. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Now, um, raw talent is massively important when it comes to cricket, but obviously now with, with the way things have developed in terms of training, facilities, yeah. equipment and, and everything in that regard, regimes... How's that changed on the cricket scene from what you remember? Yeah, it's changed a lot, a lot. I think you need to you have to nail the head. You know, I've in my, my my journey, my life journey, I've come across so many talented people at school level, young, you know, at sort of junior level, and you know, they just sort of get lost either in the system or they fade away. And you know, for me, um, I think, like you said, now structures are much better. You know, coaching is much better. 
Um, you know, so for me, that's, 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 that's it. And also the support you get from home. I was quite lucky. Like, you know, we grew up in a sporting family. My dad, you know, took us to all the games when South Africa was playing. So we basically grew up next to a cricket field. And I think that home support you get, you know, it's not like a pushing support. It's a loving support. It's you finding your own feet in the, in the, in the environment or in the pool. And, you know, if you struggle, you know, he's there to advise you and to help you. But not once was we, we ever forced to do anything. And I think if you get that balance right, you know, with talent, with hard work, you know, that's, that's me, it's the recipe of, of success. I, I've been, ooh. I've been lucky enough to, to visit South Africa twice now on tour. And yeah. one thing that I can just 100% remember about South Africa and the South African schooling system and the, and the boys that we pay, played was the incredible competitiveness and kind yeah. of immediate rivalry that, that is struck up. Where, where does this stem from in South Africa? Where, how, how is it so deeply rooted in, in the boys? It's, it's incredible to see. Yeah, I, I just think it's in our blood. You know, we, 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 we grow up like that. I mean, I, like you say, now, I went to, when I was still living in South Africa, I went on the weekend to a school. There was a school local to the rugby, rugby festival, rugby game, and there were 25,000 people watching, you know, under-18 boys play, play rugby. And I was, like, blown away. It was on TV. You know, it's just it's next level. And I think it's, it's that, you know, it's families growing up, Loving the sport and, you know, sport is the one thing that unites South Africa. Um, if we do well, you know, that keeps, that's basically the glue of the country. And, um, yeah, I think as youngsters, you know, it's, uh, whenever the Springboks were playing or the Proteus were playing, we were glued to the TV. I was in my final year of school, um, you know, with, with uh, the World Cups going on, screw the studying, we were watching cricket and that is just what we lived and, you know, you sort of breathe that. And, um, yeah, so it's definitely sort of, you know, drilled into you as a younger age and, you know, from there it just develops and develops, and especially in the, under, the, under the Afrikaans communities like me. You know, we, we love our rugby, we love our sport, we love barefoot and running and kicking and tackling and, yeah. I can only imagine the power, the power of the Rugby World Cup then and that, what that did um, in 2019. That is that is that is that is huge, you know, and also Siakalisi, you know, black first black sort of um, you know African guy to, to win the World Cup for South Africa. Um, yeah, that is that is that is huge, and you know the energy and uh, back home in South Africa when they when they brought the trophy back, you know, people in the streets were it was it was going on for weeks, and it was honestly it was sort of the best time. To, to be alive and for me I can just imagine there you know a lot of dreams for youngsters were developed and sort of made and now guys are sort of aspiring and and and, and uh, you know they're chasing that sort of dreams now so it's just great. Now just picking up on something that you briefly touched on I mean South Africa still does pose like danger and a potential risk for for uh, yeah. when it grow, growing up and I know that sport is a potential escape for that how difficult yeah. is it though to break into that kind of sporting realm when you know there are kind of not easier opportunities but just more accessible opportunities to get into a, a different way of life if you know what i mean yeah i mean uh, that, that is a challenge you know we can't we can't sit and and, and lie about it um, but i still think you know and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of guys that can that can back me on that if you still put the hard yards in if you still you know um if you still do the right work and go discipline about things you can, you can still play at the highest level and you know with the challenges that comes with that off the field at the end of the day, those sort of things you can't control. And, you know, for me, that is, that's why you need a good support system that can keep you level-headed and can keep you on track with that. Um, you know, and, yeah, for me, that's, that's, 
every day you're faced with certain decisions you need to make and, you know, you, you just hope that you can, one, learn from, from the mistakes you make or make smart enough decisions that can help you into, into the right direction. No, I couldn't agree more. Now, of course, I did say that you, ha- you have a couple of brothers. Speaking of competitiveness, how, how, do, you rank, yeah. how do you rank as a threesome? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most competitive? Um, yeah, definitely my middle brother, Albie. I used to, he's a more sort of introvert, quieter sort of guy. Um, you know, I was, I, was, I was the baby, so I did all the, the fielding, basically. I faced ah. two balls in the backyard, bowled all the afternoon. So typical sort of, you know, youngster got, um, got bullied. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I was quite, quite sort of fortunate with that, that, you know, in my school career, I always played, um, you know, sort of higher levels. Like, you know, I played with Albie when I was, uh, when I was 14. So I was always in a bigger crowd, more experienced crowd. And that also helped me, you know, a lot with my, my, my growth. From a young age, started playing club cricket, you know, so um, having older brothers and mixing in their circles and playing and competing in the backyard, you know, when their friends came came to visit at home, was was a great sort of learning curve for me as a youngster. Yeah, it sounds like you really got, got, got again, put into the deep end, you know, by playing with the senior boys. And that probably put you in a yeah. really good position for your for your future career, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was sort of schooled from, from, a, from a young age. And I was luckily like I was like a sponge and I was soaking up you know, all these little things. And, um, yeah, so, you know, as soon as my brothers, when they started sort of playing provincial cricket, like I said, we were always there and, um, you know, just seeing how the guys pad up and how the guys prepare. And I used to bowl in the nets. I always used to love asking, can I just come down to the nets and bowl with you guys? So but that was, I was quite fortunate that I had that sort of, you know, sort of journey or that sort of starting point in my life. I'm curious to know then, when did... Um a B pop along then, and you lived with Albie then together. You all lived together in a house. Yeah, so um, yeah, I first first lived with with Albie, um, and then yeah, myself and Ab and Albie moved into a place. That was sort of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and we lived together for you know three four years. And once again, you know, that was that was magical. I mean, um, you know, living with Ab once of all one of the greatest cricketers the world is ever going to see. You know, that's that's a sort of motivation. We we push each other every day. Let's go to the gym. You know, let's go to the nets. Let's go and just unwind. And so, yeah, it was, it was great sort of living with that. And in know, it's a sort of area, you know, all our cricketers basically lived in the same sort of bubble. So there was a lot of bras or barbecues on the weekends. Um, you know, this was a real sort of band of brothers when I played for the Titans back then. Can you uh, Can you remember any particular stories of you three living together? <laughs> any any juicy stories? Uh, <laughs> no, those those stories they 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 sort of buried. We're not allowed to talk about <laughs> <laughs> completely. Well, I do. I I have to ask then. Who was the messiest out of you three? Um, probably me. You know, I always I, I sort of I, I, I pulled I pulled the short the short straw. So when we moved into the house together, and my brother Albia, he had the biggest room. Maybe it's sort of second pick, and I was just sort of like a smaller room there in our third three-bedroom apartment. And uh, yeah, so I didn't have a lot of space, so I was definitely definitely the, the messier one. Um, and yeah, my appetite was also much bigger than those guys. So I always always used to eat a lot more. And uh, yeah, I was just—I don't think I was the best sort of um, housemate, but um, it was great fun. Well, if we can just rewind then a couple of years from from the time that you guys were living together, because of course, b- prior to that, you were you were called up for the South African cricket team, and yeah. uh, that, that was um, 
And that must have been a massive moment for you. But was that always a realistic goal of yours when you were growing up? Uh, and indeed for your, for your brothers as well. Was it a realistic goal that cricket was a potential opportunity to be you know, a form of employment? No, for sure. You know, that's, when I was at school, that I used to daydream about that. You know, just stare at the window and visualize myself playing for South Africa. When I used to go out at school level and bat, I always used to role play like I'm this guy going out to bat like Matthew Hayden or Sean Pollock bowling. And, you know, I was quite lucky that um, with <laughs> how things worked out for me. I was sort of, I finished school, I was about to start uni. Um, I was sort of, you know, lined up to go play but like, league cricket there in the UK. And then, um, you know, once again, my brother said they were sort of getting ready. The West Indies were touring South Africa and they played a warm-up game against Easterns. And my brother said, listen, it's two days two days out before the before the game. They're looking for net bowlers again, come and bowl. And um, I went that afternoon. Uh, I bowled to the Eastern boys in the, in the nets and the coach was, listen, what, what are you doing with your life? And I said, no, I'm not sure. And... Uh, he, he walked me that afternoon to his office. I gave, he gave me like a, a rookie junior contract and I was then, you know, sort of contracted with the, with the first, first class team. And a year down the line, um, the same coach, Ray Jennings, coached um, uh, South Africa and England toured, um, England toured South Africa. And that flint off that Steve Harmison. So he phoned me. He said, listen, we need, we need some tour guys to come and bowl and and prep, you know, you know, Callis and those guys in the nets for the upcoming test series. So I went at afternoon bowled. I um, you know, had a fun afternoon bowled to Callis and Callis walked out and he said, Who's this guy bowling? And Ray Jennings said it's Albie's brother. He's like a twenty year old, nineteen year old, he doesn't really play. And Callis like, can we play him in a test match tomorrow? And sort of there, like the word of mouth sort of, you know, went about me bowling and I was a tall guy, I got a bit of bounce, but I was still I was lanky, I was all over the shop. And um yeah, there was a bit of interest in me. I, I played a handful of, of first-class games. Um, Andre Nile got injured in the, test, in, a, in the first test at Johannesburg, and then they called me and said, listen, you're in, you're playing test cricket. So after playing a handful handful of first-class game, I was straight into, into the big boys' league, and then, jeepers, I had to swim quite quickly. I found my feet. Ah, it's crazy how the stars aligned so quickly for you. What was that? Yeah. What was that? What was the most immediate um, challenge then for you as you broke into that team? Then, because you were going into the side with some big names in there already. Yeah, my biggest challenge is because I, the, the the boys were already in Durban for that second test, so I arrived, arrived sort of a couple of days later, and I walked into the change room, and then you know these all these big guns, Jack Callis, Mark Boucher, Graham Smith, and I'm walking in. And uh, I'm not quite sure where to sit. So the only spot open was next to Jacques Callis. So I put my bag down <laughs> next to Jacques and I said, hello, Jacques, I'm Mornay. And he just gave me like a proper, you know, old school look and just nodded. And then that was it. So I sat next to five months for the next five days. I sat next to, to Jacques Callis, which was uh, pretty cool, um, you know, starstruck. And then, um, yeah, the morning, morning of the test match, uh, Graham Smith came to me and he said to me, "Listen, um, yesterday in the, in the in the practice, his helmet broke. So can I? Can he? Because those days we didn't travel like nowadays with all the helmets and all those extra spares and stuff like that. So listen, can I take your helmet? Because you're probably going to bat ten and eleven. You won't be needing your helmet. So I said, sure, take my helmet. And he left his broken one, which is like a double XL, you know, helmet. He left it on my bag and." Um, as the test match went on, it was my turn to bat. And I was too nervous and too scared at the time to go and ask for my helmet. So I took his broken one and um, 
you know, Buffy took all the inside padding, everything he took out um, out of the helmet. And there's like a little Velcro, little sticky sort of thing. And that thing is like, it's like, you know, it scratches. So I walked out to bed. First of all, this helmet was way too big for me. So I was with my shoulder sort of trying to keep the visor, you know, not from like from covering, covering my eyes. But also this thing was scratching my forehead. And I managed to get like, a, I had a little partnership with Sean Pollock that first innings. And um, I remember coming off and my forehead was just like raw. All the skin was off. <laughs> and going back to bat the second innings again, putting that helmet on, you know, I was hating life. But um, it's those sort of things when you walk in and it's just like you say, there's big, massive personalities and uh, yeah, you just feel like, you know, so lost. Did you get your helmet back? Uh, no, eventually, like I, I went to the manager, I said, listen, Graham took my helmet, I've got this broken one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was, a big, it was a big sort of laugh and like a massive sort of, you know, raw skin and um, yeah, sort of grazing my forehead. That's a great story. Uh, well, nonetheless, I mean, Graham ended up giving you some enormous backing, which is magnificent. Um, let's yeah, talk yeah. about your international cricket then uh, from kind of in the broadest sense. What was, what's the most challenging part of international cricket as a, as a whole entity? Uh, maybe it's probably trend, changed slightly different yeah. fr- from the start of your career to the end of your career because I know that mm-hmm. family became far more important and decisions yeah. became a lot, a lot clearer for you. But what is, that, what is that big challenge that you reflect on and go, actually, that was the hardest part? Um, yeah, it's a simple, you know, not to get too sort of technical about the game. I think the hardest part for me was the media. The hardest part was the social media. Um, you know, like I said, I played, I didn't play a lot of first class cricket. So for me, all my learning, all my, 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 my I learned my trade basically in international cricket where, you know, at 22, 23, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a tough world. The margins are so much smaller. And I think, you know, in that sort of process, people sort of already start to, to, to label you or to, um, you know, they sort of, what's a word, burn mark you. Like, you know, I used to, to bowl well. Uh, bowl well for a couple of series but it, people always say like morning walker bowl well but he's inconsistent and for me like reading that and always fighting against that at times you know that eventually made me lost my place in the team I was always like playing games to prove the media wrong to prove social media wrong you know you'll have a, a day and then you just like I for me for instance I like to go you know if I want a bit of my own time I like to go cut my hair and you sit in the hairdresser and the guy next to me you'll read social media and say but are you the guy that bowled you know so shit on the weekend and so you couldn't you could you could never escape those sort of things and for me not having you know that sort of and also like the thing you don't want to go into a team environment and and talk about that because then people say like you know this guy is not mentally tough enough and he's not so you fight a lot of battles of those battles um you know on your own and i think that for me as a 22 to 25 year old was the hardest sort of thing is finding my feet and not trying and starting to try too hard and I was digging a hole for myself and eventually, you know, got dropped. And that was probably the best thing, just to get away and then finding the people to say, right, how am I going to play this international game? This series is brought to you by two magnificent sponsors, Ascot Group and McGill and Partners. Ascot Group is a global speciality insurance and reinsurance group with a record of underwriting excellence and superior claims service. Founded in 2001, the company provides a broad range of property and casualty solutions to customers worldwide through its platforms in London, Bermuda and the United States. Ascot is a long-standing supporter of charities 
with a link to sport, including ongoing sponsorship of the Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby Club. With a recent increase in mental health awareness, the company is particularly proud to support Headstrong Season 5 and Innings With, which focuses on the psychological well-being challenges that arise from professional sports. McGill & Partners is a boutique insurance broker helping corporate clients find specialist solutions for their most challenging and complex risks. Growing rapidly since its launch in 2019, the company operates in the UK, Europe and the United States and prides itself on working with some of the biggest companies in the world. And you can find out more on their website, mcgillpartners.com. McGill and Partners understands high performance and the mental health challenges that can be associated with it, regardless of the industry people are working in. The company is fully committed to their employees' well-being and are delighted to be sponsoring the Headstrong podcast series. It is also delighted to support the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Thank you to these two wonderful sponsors. It sounds like then the media played a massive, massive part in your in your early career then. What, how, how did you bounce back from that? Did you find your support network? How did you learn to manage and cope with uh, and what were your strategies with with the media from there on? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it was it was a matter. It was simple, you know. Um, either I have to, to find a way to deal with it, or I'm going to sink completely. And then a lot of people say, like, delete social media, don't read the newspapers, or, you know. But you also can't live a life where you don't know what's going on in the world, you know. For me, I, I like to buy a coffee or get a tea and see what's going on in the world and read the paper and stuff like that. Um, you know, so for me, it was, it, was, it was sort of, you know, important to, to, to know that, you know, I've done, I do all the hard work. I go out and I give 100%. I can't control what people say about me. I can't control what people write about me. I can't control what people think about me. And um, as you get experience, and, you know, I think experience at the end of the day you know, is, is, is a key thing. You learn how to, to, to deal with those things. Um, you know, you learn how to, when it's time to, 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 to lock your bag up and to go for, even if it's for a couple of days, to get away from it. You know, to go in the bush, go to the ocean and just get your mind completely switched off and just get re-energized. Those are the things that you learn after that. But um, like I said, uh, yeah, I think I was quite quite lucky that, you know, um, in our Proteus system, we went through a massive culture change and, you know, we got a, a proper identity with the whole Proteus fire thing started. And in that environment and in that camp, um, you know, was a security blanket we developed that looked after players. We, when I first started, you know, the guys were still, we were all passionate playing for South Africa, but there, there, there wasn't that identity about team, you know, and we really, really, really worked hard on that. I mean, we packed our bags away and we, uh, we focused on months and going on camps and how we can protect each other, how we can. And for me, having massive senior players coming in the media and having my back, like Graham was a fantastic leader. I think, you know, a lot of people sort of criticize him a lot in his career, but the sort of work that guy did off field and, you know, in the media and getting the boys to, to stay on track was, was amazing. So, you know, one of the senior players in the team. And for me, it's also, you know, in a way to, to, to befriend the media and to become their friends and, you know, to face those demons. A guy, if he's writing a bad article about me, go talk to me about it. You know, and say, yes, I saw the article that you wrote about me. You know, this is my feelings. This is how I feel about it. And, you know, you have a discussion. You, you later on form a relationship with the guys. And they, you know, they sort of understand how you feel. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Boom, there you go. 
<laughs> now, also another another challenge that you have previously spoken about, and one that I do I do want to lightly touch on. Uh, yeah. International cricket, you do spend a lot of time away from family, uh, going mm. on long tours, and that is exhausting. Um, how, how, yeah. how did you manage? How did you manage that? What was the What was the biggest challenge about that? And how How did you learn to cope with cope with that? Of course, uh, from time to time, I'm sure that um, fa- family was was there the option for them to, to come on the tour because I know that the England cricket setup yeah. uh, pre COVID that was of course an option. Um, so uh, how how did you manage that? I must say I, I was. I was okay with it until you know my, my I started a young family. My two my two boys now, you know they um, they really struggle struggle with me sort of you know going away longer than than three four weeks five weeks. Um, you know like social media, um, WhatsApp calls and video calls and Skype calls. Um, you know that's that was a game changer, a massive game changer. But you know in our family or in our sort of household, yeah, we try not to stay you know longer than three weeks apart. Um, and we were we quite nice, you know. When I played for South Africa, it was quite they were quite open at family first. So whenever there's opportunity, family could um, you know travel with us and be with us as long as we needed it. So that that's one thing with you know with, with this. I was quite lucky with the proteas that you know they were very family sort of first. They know you know that's how they could get the best out of the players. Um, but definitely now, when I was the last sort of three seasons, when I was in the UK with my wife starting work again, and you know with COVID, all those sort of things, I saw my family last year um, for two, two, three weeks and five months, and you know with with my boys and that, that is, that is extremely hard. So there's no easy way, you know, with that. Um, but yeah, I think you know the, the 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 advice I can give on that is is to to make those sort of periods if you can travel if you're allowed to travel to not to make it longer than three weeks you know i think three weeks is where conversations on the phone and and you know skype calls that it loses its edge a little bit you need that physical sort of touch and you need a physical sort of presence in the room so yeah that is my thing it's not, not longer than three weeks apart Although, i i have to agree with you of course Mone. but one thing that i would say is that ultimately a cricket player's um, career it is quite a, sh- a short amount of time as a player and yeah. quite often you do need to go away for longer periods of time to ensure that you do reach maximum potential and you do play in the, yeah. the long tours and, and play in those big franchises as well so it's quite it's a tricky one to balance isn't it yeah I mean I was I was when I was playing for the Proteus and all the other T20 leagues I was I was out of the country I was away from home you know 180 200 days of the year uh, you know, I remember I bought a place in um, in Pretoria, moved in, went on tour, and um, yeah, I basically got back, and I didn't even know where to put, you know, where the light switches were, how to to operate things. I basically had, you know, my manager had to come and help me with those sort of things back then. So um, yeah, I think you know, like you said, and that, that's the sort of, sort of things that you try and remind yourself that you know your life is only so short, and your career is only so short, and you try to brainwash yourself. Um, you know, a lot of those sort of things. But at the end of the day, family is also very important, you know. And that's why I say you need to, you're always going to face with moments where you need to make decisions. Like, I mean, for, for, a, for a period of 12 to 13 years, when I played for the Proteus, I, did, I didn't have one birthday with my dad or my mum or, you know, like family sort of things. And yes, I was career driven, but also you, 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 that's the decisions you need to make, you know. Um, am I going to play less cricket? Am I happy with, you know, financially what I'm making? Or am I chasing you know, for experience, like that, that's, that's your own personal decisions that you need to make up and weigh up and see where you are um, in, your, in your life and at your stage of your life. Definitely. I, that, that sounds difficult in regards to your birthday. I hope the boys made you a cake. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm getting a lot of, a lot of love. Now, I'm actually, I'm paying a lot of rent now for the time I missed out. You know, my wife, 
she makes me she makes me work. So um, <laughs> I'm catching up for lost time. Absolutely. Let's talk about um, uh, a particular match that actually I can certainly draw back on. And I suppose it draws back down to what you know, emotion and coping, coping with emotions on the cricket field. Now, a match that I can certainly recall is the South Africa versus New Zealand semi-final. Um, yeah. And that um, which w- went down to the wire. And uh, the Kiwis took it just at the end. And, yes. I, you know, on such a big stage and such high stakes, uh, how do you manage your emotion when it comes to delivering in a performance? Mm. Yeah, that, was, that was a massive game. And I think, you know, uh, my, they, there's a quite a nice photo of me sitting on the field crying my eyes out. But that was just when, when, when Ron Elliott hit that ball for six. That was just like, you know, everything that I've kept in, kept together, the poker faces, the braveness, everything just there in that moment, just, you know, it just burst. It was like a damn wall just burst. Because I knew the, you know, the chances of me ever playing in a World Cup again, that was my last opportunity. And I honestly felt and I honestly believed that, you know, the team we had there was was a team that could could go on and, 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 and win the World Cup. And... Um, you know, with with everything that goes with a South African team, whenever we go into an ICC event with chokers and stuff like that, you know, I honestly felt that that day we didn't choke. It was just a, it was a great game of cricket. Um, you know, on yeah, cricket was actually the winner of, of that day, and yeah. uh, um, and it was a fantastic atmosphere, fantastic crowd, and you know, to sit there for two seconds and to know that that is now the end. You know, that is now sort of the line in the sand for for me and for this great bunch of guys that we honestly we did everything for for almost like a year and a half. You know, everything was just for that for that World Cup, and yeah, it gets sort of you know came to an end very quickly. Yeah, it's. It, I think with big games like that, you as you say, it's just you do hold in all this emotion on such a big stage, and I suppose it's just like the bu- bursting a balloon, uh, and it just kind yeah. of just flows out of you. You know, if it, like I mean, it's, it's that, but also at that time, as a senior player, you know, for that six eight weeks, you're the guy that you know you 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 front up for a lot of things. You know, you a lot of emotional energy goes into those things to to pick other guys up that you know might be struggling on tour. You know, you've got issues, not that I had, but issues potentially at home that you need to sort out. So you need to. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of sort of layers of of, of things that form in a period like that. And uh, um, and it's like anything. If you chip away the strongest wall, eventually there will be a crack. And you know, that was my sort of crack. That that uh, yeah, that is that is done. As a senior player, then, how do you manage kind of sp- giving, giving your, you know, energy and emotional energy and time to, to people that are looking up to you? But then how do you manage it to make sure that you do give enough time for yourself? Um, that's, that's, that's very important. You know, I think one of the, I'm still struggling with that. I think one of the best guys that, that's sort of figured that out is it's AB. You know, AB, there's a lot of pressure and always an AB to, to guard and perform and, you know, to go out and, and do his thing. And, you know, he's just a guy that this, listen, tonight I'm shutting down. I'm going to, I don't want to see you guys for a day or two. And I think the maturity that we had in our group and in the understanding that we had in our culture, you know, is that um, it was okay. We understood, you know, everybody, we, like I said, we're going back, I'm just going to rewind a little bit, back in our meetings, you know, it was a big thing for us to be able to, 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 to be vulnerable in front of the team at times you know so, so the team can actually know what's going on so if you keep all those things inside you know that's where, where that's sort of a red flag that's a trouble area and 
we sort of going into the World Cup, we understood everybody. You know, if Obi wanted to go and sleep, or if he, if he walks in the morning at the, uh, the breakfast and he's he's sort of just sitting on his own, it's not like he's angry or he's upset. He's just that's his place. And I think as soon as you figure out that sort of balance, and you know, you can find your own sort of way without being an energy sapper where people think, oh, "What's now wrong with him today?" You know, is he now? Is he sad or whatever? If you can be a, not an energy sapper, but people can understand that sort of space you're in. And that's that's quality. That's great. I really like to hear about that. That the culture. That's it sounds sounds really great in, in within the South African dressing room. Now, of course, oh. I do need to say something about uh, about you, Mona. You are, of course, um, a world record holder. And now, now that's pretty. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell everyone what your world record is? Do you want to you, you want to come on my boat? One of all the nobles I've bowled. Oh, shocking. <laughs> Uh, so Mornay Mornay is the world record holder for the most amount of wickets taken with no on no balls. No balls, um, yeah. How many is it? I think it's thirteen. Well, there's at the official, I'm, I'm, and then the not the unofficial as well. Yeah, so at least I'm a record holder of something, you know. So that, <laughs> yeah, no. that's that's, uh, that's not something I'm I'm very proud of, but um, you know, like nah. sort of uh, sort of my my career. Uh, whenever I took a wicket, I could never sort of express and celebrate because I always have to worry, shit, was my foot behind the line? <laughs> once, once the DRS, once they've given the green light, I was like, oh, and then the moment is gone. But, yeah, exactly. Um, well, you yeah, have, no. um, you've played a portion of your cricket now over here in the UK. In fact, quite a lot of, you've played quite a lot of cricket over here in the UK. Lovely. Where's your favourite place to play? Uh, without a doubt, in the UK, the Oval. Uh, yeah. Lord's, Lord's, is, Lord's is a special, um, you know, uh, I mean, sort of walking down through the members area, um, you know, then pop, the people popping the champagne and, you know, um, fantastic atmosphere at Lord's. You can't take that away. But, you know, I have to say Oval. I mean, I, I, I three years of my life now playing there for Surrey um, and, you know, Alex Stewart is an absolute, absolute legend and looked after me and, you know, we, we managed to win the... Uh, the championship there, which they did it's the first time in, in donkey years, so to be part of that and to to call you know Surrey and the Oval my my home ground this was pretty special and yeah I mean on a Friday night with the T20 they sold out you know there's, there's they call it the best nightclub in town so that was quite 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 cool to to play there for three seasons um, so I really enjoyed playing for South Africa touring the UK I think you know. One of the, what I said to you earlier, one of the big things is you need to to find ways to get away from the game. And I think whenever we played in London, you know, to go into the streets of London, to go to a theatre show. I mean, I think I saw Phantom of the Opera about, you know, fifteen times. And, <laughs> you know, to go and and and, and experience that—that's for me. Um, oh, sorry, I lost you there. That's all right. That's for me. This uh, yeah, was was the ultimate. Um, so I really enjoyed that, and then. You know, um, yeah, we always used to travel. I also used to travel with my fishing rods and stuff. So we had a, quite a nice group of guys that um, enjoyed fishing. So whenever we go to Sri Lanka, you know, fish in Sri Lanka from there, we stop off in Maldives and then fish for five or seven days in Maldives. All those sort of subcontinent sort of places where you could fish and where you can go and explore and, you know, get out. Those were the places that I love, love sort of touring. Um, yeah, so enjoy that. Are there any uh, any British delicacies or anything that you miss particularly about the country? It sounds like maybe fish and chips. Oh, fish and chips, a uh, bit of Yorkshire pudding, rice pudding. I used, I used to be a sucker for rice pudding. Um, and then you can't, you can't, you know, be the proper sort of pub meal, so have a couple of beers, sit in the pub and, you know, just talk, talk of old stories, you know. For One hours. thing you probably that. don't miss is the rain. 
No, no, the rain and then that, that, that first two weeks, three weeks in April, the start mm. of the season, you know, when it's freezing cold and, uh, you know, as an overseas pro, you, you, you must build the overs, but <laughs> you can't even feel your toes. I'm not going to miss that, but, um, yeah, I'm going to miss a lot. I was quite lucky that in my time there, I stayed in Wimbledon and that those two weeks when the tennis is on, you know, it's just, that was the best two weeks sort of, you know, to be, to be in the UK and just to get sort of soak up the tennis atmosphere and, uh, yeah, so it's a quality place. Well, speaking of frozen toes, I have to talk to you about uh, kind of injury because unfortunately in your career, you have been no stranger to injury. And that, and that is an enormous challenge when, when you are employed as a professional sportsman, naturally. Yeah. But it's not just the physical, the physical challenge and the big barrier of injury through physical restraint. It's the, it's the mental battle that you have to endure when you are recovering from injury. Now, how, how yeah. did you um, kind of challenge your own mindset when you were returning from injury and indeed when you were injured? What were your kind of strategies to not only go through, go through physio and get through all the, the physical yeah. kind of uh, demands, but how, how did you cope with that injury, you know, being away from the team? Yeah. I, think, I think you go through stages of injury. When you're younger, you still you think, okay, you've got time to play and you will, you know, there's always time to get fit. But the older you get, you know, if you pick up injuries, again, the media starts labelling you, you know, as a fast bowler, he's too old. You know, like... At 33, 34, I felt like I was building the best sort of, you know, in my in my career. And um, but you always always people say, No, Mona is now 30, 33, he's in the wrong side of 30, or you know, he's old. But I was physically and mentally, I was then sort of in my prime. So I think that's the sort of the, the again, it's, the, it's a tricky stage when you get injured there. So I just looked after my body um, you know, as best I could. Um, you know, ate well, trained well. Uh, slept well, um, really was on top of all my, my recovery, looked after the amount of balls I bowled, you know, was very careful, those sort of things. And um, it also helped, like, we had a fantastic bowling unit. So you, we used to bowl teams out. So sometimes my workload, you know, wasn't as high as, as it used to be. But, um, yeah, you know, in terms of injuries, um, there's a couple of games you just have to to suck it up and you, you play with injuries. I mean, I, my last test match, um, I, I first had a sort of side strain, um, and then I said, no, listen, I want to, I want to carry on. I, wanna, I can't now not play, you know, the last test. So, um, got my, my, my sort of side injected, numbed, um, and then arrived in the UK <coughs> and the doctor I saw in the UK, um, he thought I was in a car accident and, um, cause I arrived there and I said, listen, I just got a normal side strain. And uh, he said, so the car accident you were in? I said, no, I'm a cricketer. I was in no car accident. I was playing cricket. And he said, well, I've actually got now um, such a fracture rib because I was numbing and drinking all the painkillers and stuff like that. It actually broke my rib. And he said, there's this sort of trauma you see in car accidents. So you learn how to deal and play and get through things like that. I mean, I had blisters and stuff in my foot that, yeah that you, not to sound like I was this Rambo tough guy, but I think mentally, you, when you play for your country, you, 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 you tend to push a little bit harder. But uh, once you're injured, injured, like I said, it's important to get the right people around you. I was very lucky that I had some quality physios, um, you know, back home in South Africa. And uh, they, that for me was important to train with them daily. You know, they sort of fed me the right things mentally, you know, from a, from a, from a self-talk point of view from getting myself fit. And then, you know, like I said, we were lucky that I played in the best cricket environment ever. You know, whenever you were fit and you're ready to go, it was, okay, let's do it. You're in. 
Totally. You you also did recently have an injury on your ankle. How many operations have you had now in your in your career? No, I, I actually had just one operation. This is my first first operation is the ankle operation. So I had like lot lot sort of soft tissue like hamstrings and quads like normal <coughs> fast bowlers get, and then I uh, had a bad sort of broken rib and then had a bad back. But uh, other than that, this I was I was actually not that bad. Myself and Dalstein, we've actually got a record for you know bowling partnership playing. The most conceded test matches back to back without you know having any injuries. So I, I I know what it's like with fast bowlers. The the competitiveness as well. Did you and Dale Stain have a big com- competitive drive with each other? I wouldn't say competitive. I think we pushed each other. You know a lot. Um, also, I've grew up with Dale. Always played sort of junior league school cricket against him, and then. I played with him uh, at the Titans, our first class. So we our career sort of started at the same time. Um, and yeah, we sort of, myself and Dale, we like you know, all the things off the field, fishing, you know, uh, name it, wildlife, swimming, surfing, all those sort of things. So it was always, you know, um, yeah, we're always together in, in terms of those sort of things. And I think it is more sort of work together in a partnership than actually competing against each other. And what not one day, I think was, was, was he jealous of me or I was jealous of him. We just wanted to, to bowl teams out, win games for South Africa and get off the field, you know, <laughs> and let the batters go and, and do their thing. So it was massive more like just supporting each other and, you know, sort of finding the best way to, to win games. Now, now looking to the, to the future then, we've got, a, we've got a big day in a couple of days, the IPL auction. Um, by the time yeah. that this comes out, it's gonna, we'll probably know the results of the IPL um, yeah. and things like that. But what, what do you anticipate um, your kind of 2021 to feature then? Uh, mine, mine at the moment is very uncertain. Like I said to you, I'm, you know, I'm 37 years, so hopefully people can still, I had a decent sort of big bash, hopefully people can saw that I can still bowl and, and do do my thing. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up for, for any of that. Um, you know, if I, if I get, a, get an opportunity to go play again, great. You know, I played IPL for eight years. Um, there are so many other tournaments also <coughs> nowadays that, um, and you can target, but you know IPL is just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's the league you want to play in. Um, you know, it's quality cricket. Um, so it'd be great if I can 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 play there. And if not, you know, I'll be at home. I'll be a family man, and and you know, sort of sort of plan my next sort of venture. Sooner or later, you know, the curtain is going to drop on me, and you know, I'm sort of planning for life after cricket is if that's coaching and you know, getting involved for sort of mentorship and helping where I can. And then just figuring life out here in Australia. Totally. Here we go. Do, do we think we might see you in, the, in an English summer? Um, yeah, I mean, I can never say no. But to me, it's just, it's just uh, you know, the travelling and um, travelling is just hard. I mean, as, as soon as they sort of let go of the quarantine here in Australia, and if I don't have the quarantine, you know, that will make life a lot, lot more easier. I mean, I was, I was sort of penciled in to, to play for Surrey again this summer. But you know the windows what they what they gave me to fly back um, to spend time with my family. I'd, I'd, I'd be in quarantine. So for me, it was um, you know there's a not an easy call to make. But um, yeah, it's unfortunately the life we we live in now. <clears throat> now I, I've really enjoyed this this chat morning. There's one question that I ask every guest that comes on Headstrong, and I'm <coughs> curious to hear what your <laughs> what your, what your um, answer is. What does the word Headstrong mean to you? Headstrong, that's a fantastic. Again, before I answer the question, actually, when I when I when I got the message, 
And I saw the title of it. I was, you know, drawn to it completely. And for me, Headstrong is something in the modern life that, you know, we're going to need more of. Um, I think, you know, life and the world is, is, is busy, busy changing and there's going to be a lot of challenges. And I think, you know, it's going to be important for people to reach out to communities, to reach out to schools, to reach out to the youngsters and, like you say, get their head strong. Because I think, you know, we're in for, for, for a sort of a tough time. And um, for me, it is um, staying in the moment. Um, for me, it's, it's um, you know, being present. And for me, it is to, to form your own sort of bubble around you and get all negativity, you know, out of your space so you can just focus and be clear on what you need to achieve. Yeah, I really enjoy. I really like that. Well, I have to say thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much, Jason Holder, for setting us up. Huge, huge thanks there. Um, what a legend. Yeah, what a legend. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Morning. I've really enjoyed this. And um, best of luck with everything and to 2021. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much for having me. We are supporting the Ruth Strauss Foundation with Headstrong and Innings With. Sir Andrew Strauss lost his wife to non-smoking lung cancer in 2018. Just before her death, Ruth and Andrew discussed the idea of setting up a foundation to help other families who would be facing a similar ordeal. The Ruth Strauss Foundation wants to ensure that all families with dependent children facing the death of a parent are offered emotional support and guidance to prepare for the future, allowing them to make the most of their time together. In tandem, they are driving the need for more research and collaboration in the fight against non-smoking lung cancers, which are on the rise and to which Ruth ultimately lost her life. You can support their cause by making a donation today. To donate, text RSF10 to 70191 to donate £10. Or you can donate online at virginmoneygiving.com forward slash fund forward slash headstrong forward slash rsf thank you for all your support of headstrong and the ruth strauss foundation and that's it for this episode of headstrong a huge thank you to mornay for coming on to the podcast and i wish him all the best out in australia including with the creepy crawlies and the snakes if you're enjoying this series please do go leave a review and a rating Every single download and stream helps, but so does a review and a rating. So if you can do that, I'd be truly grateful. Join me next week where I will have another cricketer talking all things headstrong and all things cricket. All that's left for me to say is thank you so much for tuning into Headstrong and I wish you all the very best. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.